going back to Hippocrates, all health and all disease starts in the digestive system. And he said, your dietary practice, your training practice and all these things are just stuffing things into the system, but you weren't working on how the body actually converts those things into building blocks, into energy units, and your body has paid the price. So you, you've learned how to build the body from the outside in, but you haven't learned to build the body from the inside out. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seamland and our guest today is Wade Lightheart. Wade is a three-time Canadian natural bodybuilding champion and one of the founders of BioOptimizers, which is a supplement company that fixes digestion. Wade, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us also, like, uh, where are you calling in from? What kind of a region? Well, today I'm uh, in uh, Vancouver, Canada at the moment. So it's one of the places I spend a bit of time in. You know, I bounce between here and Los Angeles and uh, Panama, usually, occasionally in Asia. But uh, I'm in Vancouver enjoying some unusual snow today. We had some snow here, which is really, really rare. So Nice. Yeah, like I was also in uh, California for the past few weeks and I just came back to home to Estonia and we really get a lot of bunch of snow here at the moment. So it's been also quite quite an awesome kind of enjoying the last last uh, last weeks of winter. Yeah, yeah, it's a big contrast for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's good for uh, like uh, adaptation. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, like, uh, what is your backstory? Can you like to, uh, give us a brief overview about uh, how did you get involved with uh, you know, optimizing your digestion? Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll start off. I'm just an ordinary kid from Canada that grew up in uh, rural New Brunswick, which is a small province on the East Coast. You know, so uh, the, temp the weather and everything was very much like Estonia. <laughs> um, you know, cold winters, short summers, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, everything was pretty normal, you know, played hockey, went to school, nothing particularly unusual till I became, um, when I was 15 years old, three interesting things happened to me. One, my parents moved to a very rural place that was five miles to my nearest neighbor, kind of this mountain. So uh, they were caretakers of a, of a lake. So I was really removed from my friends and my social influences significantly. I have to take a snowmobile out to the bus <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Uh, also, at the same time, my sister was diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer, which was a form of Hodgkin's disease, which is cancer of the lymph nodes. And over the course of the next four years, I watched her go through the medical model of, you know, cancer treatment with chemotherapy, radiation, and bone marrow transplants, and catheters, and all that horrific stuff that happens to people before she died at 22. So she was four years my senior. Now, before that, at the same, almost like all of these things started right around 15. And the third thing that happened is she gave me a magazine, a bodybuilding magazine. <clears throat> and on it had the cover of uh, Mr. California, Troy Zuclato, mm -hmm. and uh, two pretty girls. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, maybe if I had some muscles, I would, I would be healthier and maybe I would get these girls seeing my sister who was struggling with her health. And so in a very naive kind of way, I decided I was going to start training to improve my health and, mm. and, and my strength and this sort of thing. So I built a gym in my barn and started out training. And uh, when I went to university <clears throat> the year my sister died in 1990. And then uh, I started 
uh, studying exercise physiology. I wanted to know how the body worked. I, there were so many questions to me because when I looked at the treatment she was receiving, she just kept getting sicker. And they would give her poisons that would, you know, hopefully kill the disease. And I thought that doesn't make sense to me. If you want health, you would think you'd do the things that would make you healthy as opposed to that. And I'm not here to condemn the medical model, but it just it didn't. I had these questions that I wanted to unravel. And so I started my career. I got I got out of university and I, I really wasn't impressed. I had a good background of information, but I didn't have any synthesis. And at that point, I started seeking out mentors um, studying, you know, continuing on my career. I hired bodybuilding coaches and so on and so forth. Uh, worked through the industry and in various levels, became a nutritionist, all these different sort of things that, you know, a lot of people could probably relate to that goes in the industry. And um, built some success as a bodybuilding champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually led to me, and I had terrible genetics. I, I wasn't a naturally, guy, but I was very determined and I would learn a lot. And uh, eventually I got to win the Canadian National Natural Bodybuilding Championships and represent my country at the Mr. Universe contest. And that all sounds wonderful, but it, you know, this, is, this is what led me because at, at the Mr. Universe in 2003, um, after the competition, I gained 42 pounds of fat and water wow. in 11 weeks. <laughs> Snack down, right? Like wow. what happened? And I was, I remember thinking to myself, look, I've, I've got Spartan discipline. I've been on a diet for 11 months straight here, very restrictive diet. I'm doing everything as well. So I've got the best coach in the world. How did this possibly happen to me? And I had the good fortune of running into a doctor by the name of Michael O'Brien, who is a senior citizen. And he was totally vibrant. He was It looked like he could look right through you. He had all kinds of energy. His skin was amazing. I mean, this guy was the picture of health. And I'm going, how is this guy doing so well? And he said, Wade, never forget this. After the lecture, I asked him, I said, what happened? And he said, Wade, you've learned how to build the body from the outside in. But you haven't learned to build the body from the inside out. Hmm. And I asked him to teach me. And he says, well, going, going back to Hippocrates, all health and all disease starts in the digestive system. And he said, your dietary practice, your training practice, and all these things were just stuffing things into the system, but you weren't working on how the body actually converts those things into building blocks, into energy units, and your body has paid the price. So you've got to a place that most people get to later in life, faster, because I was just working at it hard. <laughs> so I, I, I went on his program. I went at the time, I went on a completely raw food diet. I took massive amounts of enzymes and probiotics and minerals and green foods and all these sort of things. And within six months, I had not only recaptured my physical condition, but I recaptured my energetic. So leading up to the contest of the Mr. Universe, I was tired. I was lethargic. I didn't sleep well. My joints hurt. And that was just normal. That's what people said. Well, that's normal if you want to do this. Afterwards, I was able to have vibrant health, look great, feel great, because I was doing all these other things to help my body convert what I was consuming into what I needed. And from that point, I started teaching it. I ran a clinic in Yaletown, Vancouver. Um, That happened. I started a company uh, with uh, my business partner, Matt Gallant. 
which was called Masszymes Inc. And we were selling bodybuilding courses <laughs> to natural bodybuilders to kind of teach them healthy ways because I knew that if they followed this method that I followed, they were going to run into tr- the same problem that I had. Maybe it wouldn't be till 40 or 45 or 50 or whatever, but I knew that that's where it was going to end. So we started doing that. That became successful. And then eventually that evolved to uh, buy optimizers when we realized that the thing that we do better than probably any company out there is we fix people's digestion. Mm-hmm. And now uh, we've been doing that ever since. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story with, you know, many epiphanies as well as like challenges. And it's also like quite ironic that, uh, you know, the bodybuilders, they do look their best when they're on stage, but at the same time, their health is really wrecked. And especially like, you know, well, everyone knows that the pre-contest prep is very difficult and challenging, but it's also like, the post contest is also like um, a lot of people, you know, suffer from some sort of, you know, malnourishment even, and, you know, they get the huge cravings and it's very common for them to like balloon back up several dozens of pounds after, you know, starting to eat again. So it's quite, quite ironic that they look their best, but they feel and their health, their health is, health is actually, you know, quite bad. Yeah. It's um, I think uh, people, and, and I, I made this mistake early and I think it, it's an easy mistake that people make is they assume cosmetic appearance. Mm. In other words, how a person looks determines how healthy they are. And in today's world, I think there's a lot of pressure on men and women to look like the cover of the magazine or look like the Instagram post Mm -hmm. or look like that, you know, professional person at a very short period of time. And people assume that that person is living this wonderful life and that they're totally healthy and vibrant and, you know, they're riding on a unicorn across a rainbow mm-hmm. bridge, you know? And the reality is, is that's not necessarily the case. And oftentimes it's the opposite. So people mistake uh, performance with health. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes in today's world, people will push a certain performance, whether that's in professional sports or an athletic career or whether it's a modeling career to look a certain way to make that look. But oftentimes they're doing so in sacrificing their health to make that. And that is the message that I want to get out to people is like, be very careful when you're chasing those kind of uh, airbrushed ideas of what health or fitness or vitality is. Yeah, it is so true that a lot of, you know, athletes and competitors, they are like willing to sacrifice their health and even sacrifice a few years from their life just to, you know, achieve the goal and uh, become a winner, so to say. But at the same time, they may be like regret it later on because they simply chase the wrong, wrong things. They realize it in afterwards, so to say. Well, I remember a study years ago after they did the Dubbin inquiry after the Ben Johnson scandal uh, when he was caught for using steroids at the uh, Olympics. I think it was the 88 Olympics in Seoul. And uh, there was a big inquiry after and they did a, a poll of forget it, thousands of uh, Olympic athletes. Mm. And in that poll, they said, said if you we're able to get an undetectable drug that would guarantee that you would win the gold medal, but you had a 95% chance of dying within five years, would you do it? And over 95% of the participants wow. answered yes. Wow, that's crazy. So one has to realize is that extreme levels often have extreme mentalities. And I'm not here to, dis- I'm not here to say that's wrong, or, or to say that that's any commentary about it, I just have to understand that what it maybe takes for a person to reach the highest levels of the physical, uh, of physical performance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as it is today. And I hope to reverse that trend. And I think we're starting to see that now. I think with the new technology, with biohacking and biometrics that are now becoming accessible to people, I think now we're in an area and a time where we're able to monitor people's health and performance as they're rising up the level. Because I believe that an athlete should be at his peak health as well as peak performance. We've just kind of taken shortcuts there without enough data. And I think that's changing now. Mm -hmm. What would you say are like the biggest, you know, problems with these competitive diets or, or even like the mainstream fitness diets or the bodybuilder diets? Yeah, well, you know, I've, I don't know how many diets I've done. I mean, I've, I've done all different types and experimented with them for many, many years. I think first and foremost, every diet, uh, whatever it is, has some advantages and has some limitations. And what tends to happen with people first off is people will get a bit of information and then cookie cutter that into them they don't know their background their genetics their age their epigenetics there's a variety of factors that one diet might not be successful here to give you an example my business partner matt follows a ketogenic diet which works well for him he's been doing that for over 25 years um, and i've been a vegetarian since uh what 2001 so almost so so i've been a vegetarian for what's 18 years mm -hmm. so we have we're, we run the same company that fixes digestion and we're on the pretty much the polar opposites yeah. of what you would expect in dietary practices how, do you even, how, how can you even spend some time in the same room <laughs> well that's because we both understand that um every diet should be developed for that individual and their goals and their results exactly. that they want exactly. and to understand that there's no right diet there's there is the right diet for a right person at the right time but anytime that you get stuck in a rigid set of confirmation you are creating limits within yourself and having been in this industry for so long i see diets come and go and there'll be a big trend and there's all the supporting evidence to support that and then all of us, and what happens, especially in social media today, uh, people get confirmation bias. So they reaffirm their own biases by joining a group and a page that are supporting this or, you know, this type of industry. And, then, and, and it's all about, you know, paleo or it's all about keto or it's all about intermittent fasting or it's all about being a vegan. And what typically happens is they keep reaffirming the biases within a very select group of people, ignoring the rest of the bell curve of everyone else. And then the most extreme person within that group generally becomes the spokesperson of that and the advocate and, and starts these, you know, world wars versus, you know, this, <laughs> this diet versus that diet. And then it falls out of vogue because a bunch of people doesn't, doesn't work for, and then it comes in. So you see these cycles over time. And I think if people understand that, then they can look at this a little bit more objectively as opposed to, uh, and, and being willing to be flexible and experiment. Yeah, it is so true. It's like uh, like the diet cults or the diet tribalism is really common, especially in like social media. And people yes, tend to like uh, listen to their own echo chambers because they subscribe to only specific channels. Uh, they listen to only specific podcasts and they you know follow certain people only. And they the only kind of the the only information that they get from the opposition of their diet or the the polar opposite of them is is gonna be like something negative that they kind of filter through like you said, from the spokesperson of their, their particular way of eating. Correct. And, and that's a big danger because like myself, I know what that's like. Mm 
Mm. And I'm not hearing to condemn. I went down that road because I was following a specific diet for bodybuilding thing and I took it to its absolute extreme and then ran into the challenges, ignored all the flashing lights, ignored all the things because I was only focused on one piece and that was a great opportunity. So every challenge that comes up for someone is also an opportunity for growth and learning. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but what would you say are like the biggest you know, problems with uh, people's digestion nowadays? Like a lot of people suffer from some sort of, you know, bloating, constipation or some autoimmune disorder. So they say, what, what are like the biggest you know, dangers or the problems? Well, we have to look kind of historically to humankind and see what's happening. And for the first time in history, um, it's certainly within civilized world, it's still an area, an, issue, an area of issue in some parts of the world, but it's, it's rapidly dropping, is there just wasn't enough food to go around. And people, you know, great populations would be wiped out by famine and weather cycles and things like this throughout history. Um, over the last hundred years, we've developed mass production of food, preservation method methodologies, distribution methodologies that exceeded anything we had in humankind before. Mm. And the survivors of the past were people who could consume a lot of calories and, and, and keep it for the times of famine. So the consumption model was great. Now, in came business, in came marketing, and we developed ways to get people to consume more food than they actually needed. You know, uh, with the cultivation of food science in the 70s where they would use chemicals to mimic key minerals or vitamins and stuff, and that makes your body consume more. For example, when Coca-Cola added aspartame into their diets, the, the sales, or into their diet sodas, the sales of that went up exponentially because of how it functions within the brain. Mm -hmm. And this became, and people went into bigger sizes. There used to be little tiny bags of chips, and now it was like we can get bigger chips or little mm -hmm. bars into bigger bars. So if I watch, literally watch the size volume of things. Um, the other thing is the use of preservatives, the use of chemicals, uh, fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides. All of those interrupt enzymatic activity inside the uh, living organisms and enzymes are the difference between thinking and blinking. I'm going to dive into that in a minute, but that disrupts your key digestive process and it disrupts your microbiome. Um, there's only two things that do work in your body, enzymes and probiotics. Those are the, the, the two factors that convert whatever you consume into building blocks or energy units. And if you don't do that well, you have leftover chemicals, leftover food, and that, that can cause problems in the body from toxification of the, uh, the tissues and liver and dysfunction, which affects metabolism function. And then also the disruption of the microbiome or the feeding of bad bacteria, the, the growth of parasitic components. And all of these things are traced to your digestive system. So basically to summarize, the humans today are eating a diet that is radically altered from what we did in the past. It's radically vitamin and mineral deficient. It contains a lot of chemicals uh, and agents so even though we're eating in excess, we're often deficient of key nutrients and we're compromising the agents that allow us to digest and absorb and utilize the food that we're doing. And so that's why, um, regardless of whatever diet someone's following, if they're not addressing the form and function of their digestive canal, because it's a single canal from your mouth to your anus. So the food is in that canal. It's not inside your cells. It's not inside your body where you need it. That, that components of how it converts using enzymes and probiotics and hydrochloric acid and these agents, peristaltic contractions, 
that is going to determine how efficiently any diet works for you. And oftentimes people will select a diet that supports um, uh, their already compromised digestive system, but they still haven't fixed that. Like I could probably do good on any diet because I've got a great digestive system now. Um, and I think that's the same for most people once they get their digestive system working. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's not what you eat, it's what you end up absorbing that matters because, you know, you can, you can, you can consume empty calories, but if you're not getting all of the nutrients from that, then it's, it's, it's the same as not having eaten it at all, sort of thing. Correct. And we all know the person who doesn't eat that much and is grossly overweight. They can't seem mm. to lose weight. And then we all know the person who is, you know, skinny as a rail and just eats all the time. Yeah. So obviously those two people are metabolizing, digesting, absorbing, and utilizing their food in very different methods mm. than each other. And when you dive into it, oftentimes it can be traced to their digestive systems. Right. So why would someone have like poor digestion? What's causing it? You mentioned a few of these dangers. Well, let me explain. I'll just back that up a little bit. Um, if we look at how food is actually consumed, because people might not think about it, you just kind of eat it and you think it goes into the body. We don't really give much thought to it. But you start chewing the food at the first and uh, enzymes are released, usually to break down carbohydrate right in the mouth, the saliva or the salivary effect. And then the, the food goes down the esophagus and enters into the upper cardiac portion of the stomach. Now, this is where problem number one comes uh, for people. What happens is the food is, sits there for 30 to 60 minutes in the top part of the stomach, and that's where the natural enzymes present in the food are supposed to be breaking down the food. Okay? Now, here's the problem. Humans are the only species on the planet that cooks their food. <laughs> okay? So anything heated over 114 degrees destroys all the enzymes. Yeah. So every other species, if I'm a tiger, and I'm gonna go eat dinner. I run out into the, the savanna, I see a zebra, I knock it down, I kill it. Now what is it, what is the what does the tiger do? It goes in and rips open the carcass and gets the entrails first where the enzymes and probiotics are already present, and then consumes the rest of the meal because it knows that the, the actual mechanisms of breaking that in that animal down are right there. Okay, so it's gonna say if I'm a cow walking around in the field, I'm selecting the best grass that I can get. If there's any blood on the grass or anything, I'm not going to eat that grass. I'm going to eat the grass that's live and has enzymes present in it so that that will break down when it goes into my four stomachs inside the body and it'll move it through the different stages of digestion. Uh, a bear will eat a salmon out of the river raw. It'll eat blueberries in the field raw. So all animals eat their food when it's alive and they get the enzymes. So enzymes are the difference between the dead and the living. The, 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 all plants, all living matter have enzymes and that's what performs chemical reactions. And so when you consume, it's not just the protein, the calories, the, the fats and you know, all that you're getting. You're getting the life force, the energy of that animal. But with humans, we don't do that. We cook most of our food or we irradiate even the fruits and vegetables so we eliminate the enzymes so it stays on the shelf longer. And what that requires us is we have to now manufacture digestive enzymes in our liver to serve it to our, you know, our, our, our mm. bile ducts and to give it to break down this food. So now we have a bunch of food that's not really naturally breaking down the way it should. Right. Okay. Mm. Now that's step one. Step two at that, 
sometime around 60 minutes in, 30 to 60 minutes into the digestion, depending on the food stuff, your body's going to start to release hydrochloric acid. So hydrochloric acid has two very important functions. One, it kills off foreign bacteria and foreign parasites that may be present in the food. That's what it does. It donates ions. It's the first step of your immune system. Very, very important. That's what it does. And it helps, you know, the, the acid starts to help break down the different products into smaller units. But it also starts to change the pH of that food to lower and lower pH levels. And what that does is that will activate certain enzymes and it will deactivate other enzymes present in the food or if, it, or if your body doesn't have it, then you get an issue. So at that point, you know, your stomach's churning and stuff like that. So if you don't have enzymes in the food and when you get usually into your 40s, you're probably not producing as much hydrochloric acid, you're not digesting the food in those first few stages well. The other thing is, if you're not producing enough hydrochloric acid, what happens is the food starts to ferment. Mm. And that will create a gas that'll pop open the esophageal valve on the, uh, on the very uh, top of the stomach or the lower esophageal sphincter, it's called. That opens up and now hydrochloric acid starts splashing up into the esophagus. I can carry Barrett syndrome and various types of cancers. We start to experience that as heartburn and acid reflux. Mm. That's the first sign that you've got digestive issues, heartburn and acid reflux. After all that food goes out of the intestinal tract, your body will use uh, what's called bicarbonate buffers, which is a fancy name for alkaline minerals, to neutralize the acid of that stomach. If you don't have a lot of great minerals, if you don't have a mineral-rich diet, this is where people start getting into you know, irritable bowel syndrome. They start getting gastritis. They start getting ulcers because the acid is leaking into the intestinal tract and burning holes in it if you don't buffer that, that acid properly. So that's a good sign that you're mineral deficient on some level. Then the food goes into the intestinal tract. Now, at this stage, these little guys called probiotics, which are good bacteria, pro-life, uh, will start breaking down the food. Now, in your intestinal tract, there's probably anywhere from 250 to 500 strains of these microorganisms, which are essential to convert the food that we eat into the units that we uh, energy units or building blocks. Without them, we're dead. If we don't have these bacteria, we're dead. Now, the thing is, there's 10% of these that are really good, 10% of these are really bad, and 80% I would call are opportunists. So depending on your diet, your food selection, uh, what kind of state you are in, you're going to determine the response of this microbiome, which is dynamically changing all the time. That final stage is what will get the food down to a small enough particle that will cross over the intestinal tract into the bloodstream and then your body will take it off to either the liver or to your other uh, organs and function, that sort of mechanism. And then the final stage is peristaltic contraction, which continually moves that, which is the contraction of smooth muscle tissue. We'll push it out and then you'll defecate and, and the waste goes out the system. So if you're not getting good peristaltic contraction, if your lining has been damaged, if you have an imbalance of bad, good and bad bacteria, people uh, or you're very dehydrated you start to experience constipation mm. so you know you get heartburn acid reflux constipation if you get sick easily you probably got some issues either with the hydrochloric acid or, or, or probiotics if you're not uh, if you find that you're aging relatively quickly you're probably not breaking down your proteins for example um, people 25 percent of the population suffers from chronic forms of depression 
And that's because they're not converting the protein into the amino acids that make the polypeptide chains in their brain. So almost so many different conditions uh, are related because people aren't converting the diets that they eat, the food that they eat into usable energy units. And that's why when they switch to a diet, sometimes their microbiome now has to alter and they have a microbiome that will support that diet. And if they stay on it long enough, it'll alter and, the, and they can correct things. But oftentimes they'll set up deficiencies in other areas. Sure. Yeah, it is like a really complex system and uh, it's, it's also like a quite elegant, uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's one of those things that has an immediate effect on a person's everyday life. Like everyone doesn't know, like no one likes to be depressed and no one likes to be constipated or something. And uh, those things are like, like uh, Hippocrates said, like all disease begins in the gut and it really has like an immediate effect. Uh, but essentially, so uh, the the reason why this happens is that people consume food that doesn't have like enough of these digestive enzymes while at the same time this is going to drain their own body's endogenous digest digestive enzyme stores that eventually that's simply going to lead you know improper digesting of the foods and uh, that's going to like slow everything down in re in relation to that digestion yeah it's fascinating if you study um animals uh, that are eating their natural diet versus humans um we have a pancreas that is four and a half times the size of any other species relative to our body weight. And of course, that is one of the release points of, of our, our enzyme release points. And in, if, so you think about that, why, why is that cultivated? So it costs us an incredible amount of energy to manufacture enzymes. And we do that by converting proteins from our skin, from our, our muscles, from our, from our organs. It'll convert proteins into these enzymes to digest it. So a lot of doctors will say, well, yeah, your body makes enzymes. That's true. But where are they making the enzymes from? Right. And that's the part that we haven't dealt with. And I think one of the reasons why, for example, intermittent fasting has become so popular because it's freeing up the enzymatic potential of the organism to go heal the body, to go do these other things. And, and people are using this as a, a development tool now to manage the abundance of food that we typically have. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is uh, <laughs> like uh, sometimes the best thing you, best thing to do is to not eat at all and uh, allow your body to heal itself uh, from the inside out. Uh, but how can how, how, so? What are you suggesting? Like, uh, is like the raw, raw, uncooked uh, diet the best way of going about it, or how do you fix it? Well, that's a great, it's a great question because I, I, I went down that road for, for two years. Uh, I didn't eat any piece of cooked food. I only ate raw food and I, and I supplemented with digestive enzymes. Now, the problem, and so I think that, I think everybody can benefit from maybe doing three months or six months of a, of a raw food diet as a kind of a detoxification and cleansing program. I think it's just a great experiment for people to do. Um, the challenges of it are if you live in a cold climate, very difficult because oftentimes you need a more acidic diet to kind of bring up body temperature and energy. So it's, and, and oftentimes the availability of, of really nutrient dense raw food is very limited. So raw food diets work really well in warm, sunny, tropical type places. They don't work so well in very cold, dark climates that we experience uh, oftentimes in the Northern hemisphere. Second thing is um, if you're, embarking on trying to build up your enzyme potential. And I'll refer to a book by Dr. Edward Howell called Enzyme Nutrition. And he has another one for food enzymes um, 
for health and longevity, those two books. One, the, the second one is more uh, research-driven and written from a technical side. The other first one is better consumable by the, the general population. And he explains how this enzyme bank account, this pool, determines generally how long an animal lives. And what's interesting is the studies have showed that if you eat, the, the, the one thing that we've determined about people who live longer is they eat less than people who eat more. <laughs> and I believe that that's because you're putting less enzymatic drain on the system. Mm. So with a raw food diet, um, it's great if you're like if you're living out in uh, Hawaii, like uh, you know some of the more famous practitioners will tend to they they all gravitate to an area out in Hawaii, and they're growing on a very mineral rich soil, and they're eating their food right out of their garden, and and you know they're getting lots of sunlight and all. Yeah, it's probably a great diet in that in that environment if you're in the pristine conditions. The average person though is buying their food at the grocery store. Uh, it's probably been irradiated. There may be chemicals on it. The USDA has 50 different chemicals that are allowable on organics, for example. Uh, so it's not really organic. It's probably grown on a monoculture uh, farm, which has maybe two uh, percent of the enzyme or the mineral content it had maybe a hundred years ago and the nutrient value so you you're not really getting it so how are you supplementing your diet to ensure that you're getting all these nutrients so I do believe it's good as a cleansing program and that's what I got out of it but eventually it'll cultivate into areas there you know you oftentimes you'll have trouble getting enough protein and amino acids so I think some of the extreme behavior you'll see in the uh, uh, what I would call passive aggressive vegan lifestyles or raw food lifestyles which are you know is is i do believe that it affects the neurochemistry of people in a, in a negative way if mm. if produced over a long period of time if they're susceptible to that which treats to this hyper vigilant or hyper uh, aggressiveness or very narrow minded and i think that has to do with uh, brain chemistry and function same thing is you seeing popular on a you know like the all meat diet is a new trend right which is super great for losing weight it's very hard to metabolize food it creates a lot of energy you start losing weight but there is just so many key phytonutrients and nutrients that you're missing on that diet that you're going to run into problems uh, later on down the road so oftentimes the in, the initial solution to whatever challenge you're overcoming will eventually become a bigger problem down the road if you don't create flexibility in your right. diets right yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, the, the reason a lot of people go on this all-meat carnivore diet is to fix their digestion and give themselves a break. But the problem is that if they stay there for too long, then they actually develop like further, you know, problems and they will, won't be able to digest. If they come off from the diet and they consume some plants and some, I don't know, some grains or whatever, then they will actually experience a lot more more of those issues than, that they didn't have before, so to say. So maybe like a short-term thing can be beneficial, but again, like in the long term, it's, it may not be completely something that you would want to stick to all the time. Yeah, and this is where I think, um, and today it's great because now you can actually hire, you know, a naturopathic physician or, you know, a, a nutritionist or someone who can uh, help you really get into, you know, you can do a genetic testing, you can look at your epigenetics, you can look at, uh, you know, which becomes activated by diet and environment and things like that. Um, you're able to get real-time data about what's happening in your system, what deficiencies are coming out from a diet, what are being corrected. So you can continually course correct. So I have a health coach myself, you know, uh, who gives me feedback, unbiased feedback, 
because I'm biased just like everybody else. We, it's very hard to overcome your cognitive biases. You can only do that by people who are going to challenge your biases and without getting into a war, say, okay, well, let's take a look at that. Mm-hmm. And through uh, systematic testing uh, to the best of your ability. So, you know, uh, you know, are my adrenals overloaded? Uh, you know, am, is my thyroid working properly? Is my liver function going well? You know, is it, what's my sleep patterns? And now we have a lot of technology out there that we can track this. So traditionally in hospitals, we track people's vitals really, really well that last eight to 12 weeks of their life, right? But Mm -hmm. the problem is, and maybe when you're born, they track that. But this whole gap in between, which we call life, people aren't tracking these things so that they can prevent, you know, serious conditions from down the road. Um, Because you don't know what you don't know. And, uh, and none of us know the whole picture we're all we're all in a state of learning yeah it is true like uh, people don't know how certain foods affect them and uh, they they do only like develop this awareness if they maybe take like take some blood tests take some genetic tests and as well like going through these different types of diets because the experimentation is still like a quite a critical part of it of actually learning about how your body reacts to different foods and the, the, then like building up your in- intuition uh, as well as like they were getting more feedback about it, so yeah, there's still a lot of you. You have to get your hands dirty, so to say, and uh, try th- different things out. Well, you know, I, over my career, I coached uh, over fifteen thousand people um, directly, and uh, this was the number one thing I would get people to do, and that <laughs> is write down what's happening in your body. Um, our human observational skills. Um, are extremely tuned and developed over millions of years. Mm. And unfortunately, most people are paying more attention to this. <laughs> and um, they're looking through life through a screen or externally as opposed to saying, how do I feel? How did I sleep last night? Writing it down, seeing patterns. What did I eat? Did I feel tired? Did I feel sluggish? Did I feel energized? You know, did I, did I wake up groggy? Did, was was I constipated? Did I have a heart burn up? When you start looking at this, you're going to start to see in just a couple weeks by writing down the information and observing it over time, you're going to start learning, well, wow, when I eat that, I don't feel good. Why am I doing that? And, you know, it's like really, really simple things where I did this and I felt great. And you'll start to build a pattern of observation. And then if you cross correlate that with testing. So for example, if you're doing this and you get your, your testing, um, concordant with your diet tracking for yourself and you don't need an expensive tracker you can write it down on a journal well guess what all of a sudden you're going to know what it feels like when your adrenals are taxed mm. you're going to know what it's like when you're not supporting your th- thyroid you're going to know what it's like uh, physically from testing that you're doing so I know with myself and my business partner Matt we do a lot of testing and self-monitoring and we can tell you stuff about food and how it's affecting us almost instantaneously when we when we when we consume it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, but what are some other, some other things that drain your enzymatic capacity, so to say, and uh, lower stomach acid? Like I would imagine that stress and inflammation are also quite uh, critical in this in this area. Yeah. So stress and inflammation. Uh, inflammation. Inflammation is the silent killer. Uh, basically, you don't necessarily feed it, feel it, but it is damaging you every single day. Yeah. And that damage is caused by free radicals, and free radicals come in many forms. Stress is one of them. For example, if you go and almost get in a car accident, 
and you get that big adrenaline j jump or whatever, whatever this stress response, I should say the stress response is extreme. And that's, it's designed for you to, you know, survive that situation, right? To, to go through that situation. So it's a, it's a short-term survival mechanism that can have long-term effects. And oftentimes you'll see people who've gone through traumatic experiences develop all sorts of conditions later on because they never flip themselves out of that stress response. Mm. Same thing is the use of a lot of, for a lot of people, the use of a lot of stimulants and caffeine, whether that's blue light, caffeine, mm. or, uh, you know, brain drugs, which are very in vogue, particularly in uh, Ivy League schools. Um, these sort of things will take a, they have a performance enhancing benefit, but they often do damage to the body. Same thing you see with athlete, athletes and steroids. Uh, mm. For the average person, though, I would say that drugs, uh, prescription medications, often have a deteriorous effect on the body. Um, herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides, I talked about that. It's on all of the food nowadays. Um, and that is, those things will really disrupt your enzymatic function and really disrupt uh, your microbiome. So, you know, yeah. properly, you know, getting really high quality foods, a big deal. Uh, preservatives and chemical dyes, which are very present in a lot of, you know, foods that are in grocery stores, you know, anything that comes in a box, if you can't put this thing in the ground and grow something, you know, you, you, you're, you're doing damage to your system on some point. Yeah. End yeah. of story. <laughs> and that might not be a popular statement. It might taste good. It might feel good uh, going in, but the bottom line, there's a certain amount of damage. So how you're mitigating that, you know, are you using things like turmeric uh, profusely in your diet? Um, are you using intermittent fasting techniques? Are you using uh, cold therapy is another great one. Cryotherapy is gaining popularity, the Wim Hof method, or ways of reducing inflammation inside the body, uh, sleep tracking, removing EMF radiation. All of these things are contributing to inflammation in the body, which causes degeneration. degeneration. Uh, the other interesting thing about hydrochloric acid you mentioned, water. Uh, people are just really chronically dehydrated, and water is a key component to making the hydrochloric acid. So I think. A lot of people just by improving the quality of the water. So water that doesn't have chlorine, water that doesn't have fluoride and all the chemical agents. So if you're in a city and you're getting water, like what is the filtration systems that you're using in order to get all the, the gunk out of the water? Because it's shocking uh, yeah. what's going into your body. Yeah, it is a good point that most people are dehydrated. But the problem I think is also that simply drinking regular water is also, it's not going to hydrate you that properly. And uh drinking too much water can actually also like dilute your stomach acid especially if you drink it like before eating so uh, the, i right. think like the, the, there's like an importance of like uh, the electrolytes and minerals is also like actually more important than just drinking uh, regular water do do like electrolytes like sodium potassium and magnesium do they like affect these uh, enzyme, enzymes as well yeah so the, the role in the body of, of how you break down food is you need enzymes to get your proteins, proteins uh, to, to, that converts to aminos. You need pro, and you need the proteins to get the minerals and you need the minerals to get the vitamins. That, that is the chain of how your body actually utilizes these things. And if you interrupt that chain on any level, then that's going to carry over to key functions. For example, um, people in generally are extremely deficient in magnesium. Mm. We have high amounts of calcium inside our diets, but very low levels of magnesium, which they work on a, a very key ratio. And when you, when you don't have the right ratios, it starts dumping essential minerals. And so 
magnesium are involved in about 350 different functions. They're also involved in, in chemical reactions. So you see people will come in with all kinds of aches and pains or chronic sleep issues or whatever. All they're deficient in is magnesium. And interesting, oftentimes one of the signs of that is people who crave chocolate. Mm. Chocolate is high in magnesium. And so uh, one of the, if you have a lot of cravings for chocolate, chances are you have a severe magnesium deficiency that can, you can correct with that. Not by eating bug, bugs and you know, bags of chocolate, but by adding magnesium. And then there's all sorts of minerals like that. But right. Same kind same of thing. Yeah, that's quite, quite, quite interesting. And then the minerals themselves are actually more important than the macronutrients or so to say, like empty calories. But, but what do you think yeah. about, what do you think about these different like phytonutrients in these uh, foods like uh, lectins or gluten and, and these different things that are really gaining a lot of popularity and they, they said cause a lot of like digestive issues to people. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think again, where what's happened is we're now in a state where the, the, the average person's digestion is so compromised. Like, so if they go the average person, you know, Joe average, whoever, Jane average, whoever that person is, I mean, that really person doesn't exist. But if you look at the society as a whole, um, I would say if you compared our digestive system functioning to maybe several hundred years ago, it'd be radically different. Right. Our capacity to, to actually break down and digest foods. So these uh, foods, um, which were popular in other times didn't seem to cause problems. Now it's because people do not have the enzymatic capacity to break those foods down. And so we're seeing a rise of uh, inflammatory conditions, particularly from lectins, particularly from gluten. Um, we already heard about things like lactase from milk products, right? Because of the A1 inflammatory proteins that, you know, that are now found in a lot of processed dairy cows. So, I think we're going to continue to see more of these things. These, these are the cutting edges. So gluten, virtually nobody has the ability to break that down well. Um, you just range in how much damage it causes on a scale from, say, 1 to 10. You can use an arbitrary number. People that are, you know, they smell gluten in a restaurant that they're having a, you know, a meltdown. To other people that can eat a lot of bread, they don't feel that good, but they're okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big issue. And one of the reasons we developed a gluten uh, product was because it's become so widespread. Same thing with lectins. If you go back to Ayurvedic science, which dates back thousands of years, they were looking at lectins and they only recommended to vote four or five different uh, lectin-based foods in the diet for population. So uh, it's that was well known before. Uh, so you see a lot of that, particularly in the vegetarian community like myself, where they rely on uh, lectins and gluten-based uh, products to fill up some of the calorie contents, and then they run into all sorts of uh, challenges down the road. So it's quite common for people who choose to follow a diet as a, as I advocate. So mm. yeah, yeah, it's like it's not it's not that lectins or gluten themselves are you know particularly bad. It's just that the culmination of all those different stressors and uh, these different things that drain the body, they simply tip it over the top, uh, whether that be from stress or glyphosate or or some other some other form of uh, digestive uh, you know stressor. So it's not just that particular thing. It's people are already quite taxed and they don't have like the capacity to uh, function that properly. Yeah, it's that's exactly it. So when people are looking at individual agents, I always look at uh, what's the whole picture, and and I believe that great health should actually increase your options as opposed to decrease it. Hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think if you get your digestive system working, your ability to have other things without problems um, becomes increased, not decreased. Mm -hmm. What do you think about like food combinations? Uh, are there any like specific comb combinations that people should avoid? And are there anything that they should actually add to improve their digestion? Well, food combining is a very interesting topic. So if you go back to the specific uh, enzyme release uh, principle that Dr. Hal talks about in, in enzyme nutrition, um, that almost all foods in nature contain some combination of carbohydrates, fats, and, and proteins or amino acids in various degrees. And I believe, I believe that that combination is like a, a soundtrack to a, a movie. And so that the notes can be the same from a, a, a macro calorie level. You know, this is a protein, this is a carb, and this is a fat. But I believe that how those are arranged sends a signal into the body so that an orange would be processed different than a potato. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe there's a unique, I see food as information. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we consume and, and creates a response inside the body, just like Mozart creates one response versus Metallica. You know, they're all using the same notes. They're yeah. just arranged in a different way and played in a different methodology or with different instruments or different goal in mind. And so with food combining, I think that you'll see people that respond well to food combining based on the enzymatic pathways that they are deficient in. So if they're deficient, let's say, in an amylase pathway, which digests carbohydrates, I think what you'll find is that they're going to do much better on a ketogenic diet. And if you track that back, they probably ate a lot of sugar as a kid hmm. and exhausted their enzymatic capacity for amylase. And now the body doesn't want to break that down. So when they have any kind of sweet thing, their blood sugar goes off, you know, off the charts hmm. as opposed to someone that maybe ate a lot of protein in their childhood, right? They might get to a point where they're having acidic conditions, they're having acid reflux, they're not getting enough hydrochloric, they've burned out the proteolytics or they're depressed all the time. And they switch to a, you know, an alkaline based diet, let's say maybe a vegan diet or vegetarian or a raw food diet, and they feel better and they assume, oh, it's because of this diet. No, it, it's that diet at that time based on your compromised yeah. system. So at the end of the day, you still haven't fixed the underlying problem, which is you, you haven't put the enzymes into the system in order to correct that. And you can't eat your way out of that situation. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the problem. There's no diet that's going to get you out of enzymatic deficiency. The only way to do that is to start bringing enzymes into your diet. And there's various degrees of enzymes. There's, you know, there's just plain plant enzymes. There's animal enzymes. There's systemic enzymes. There's uh, uh, cultured enzymes. Mm. Okay. And so... Cultured enzymes, for example, are developed in grown-up meetings, which are about a thousand times more powerful than an enzyme. It'll say protease or it'll say amylase, but the person doesn't have the sophistication to understand the difference of the capacity of that function and what it's capable of doing. Hmm. Yeah, it is interesting in a sense that uh, uh, the, 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 all of these enzymes also kind of follow the similar pattern that you would find in nature, so to say that if it is the summertime, then you would eat primarily like carbohydrate plays carbohydrate based foods like uh, fruits and uh, tubers and if it's the winter time then you don't have that many of them and you would eat mostly like animals and proteins and fats so uh, it kind of also makes sense that you don't really want to combine them together because they have like conflictive uh, digestive uh, processes and enzymes required to break them down so <laughs> the kind of best best way of going about it is to kind of follow some somewhat of a cyclical type of diet 
where you cycle between different uh, food groups and uh, you don't like exhaust all of your uh, digestive banks uh, by sticking to a one way of eating all the time. Yeah, and that, that's again one of the challenges of the, of the modern era is that we can get yeah. blueberries, for example, all year round, or we yeah. can get steak all year round, or we can get nuts all year round. Where in the hunter gatherer days before the agricultural revolution, you just tr nomadically traveled around and got whatever food was available at that time of year, <laughs> and you would travel to areas where it supported you. And so we actually cycled automatically without even thinking yeah. about it. Of yeah. course, there were other dangers. You might get eaten by a tiger or something, you know, so it doesn't yeah. usually happen in cities. Yeah, that's, that's fortunate. <laughs> but what do you yourself eat in a day at the moment? Well, um, so usually I, I, I eat within a time-constricted window most days. So I don't usually eat till 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I find my body feels best uh, if I do that. So I will just consume water. Uh, then my first meal will combine uh, like maybe a, a large salad and uh, some eggs or protein uh, powder. It would have nuts on it and things like that. So no, very little carbohydrate uh, or no carbohydrate. And then I'll do a workout in the afternoon. And after my workout is when I'll consume my larger carbohydrate meal. So I might make a protein shake that'll have you know, all kinds of, you know, bananas and right. berries and juice. And then I'll probably add, oh, went back truck up on the salad. I usually put uh, a lot of essential fatty acids on it. Um, I'm, right now I'm using a, a really great product by Activation uh, Oils. They've got a black cumin or black, black seed oil. It's a, it's mm. a black seed oil. It's, it's probably the most potent oil I have. Or Udo's oil with the DHA. Because uh, being a vegetarian, that's a challenge. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the evening, I'll have like, uh, you know, lentils, maybe some rice. Um, snacks will be, typically I like apples. And then, uh, or, you know, my fiance, she'll make a, you know, some sort of meal for us or whatever it happens to be. And, and I'll just eat that. Or then we go out for dinner. So when I go out for dinner, uh, I don't eat perfectly or anything else if we might have pasta meal or we sometimes we'll go out with friends and you know i'll have some nachos or something like that so i don't eat perfectly i don't want to tell people that i'm like this pristine person that only eats these things i just try to limit those things to those particular moments and social occasions and i don't worry about it where before i was very extreme and rigid and sometimes you need to go there for a while and elimination that but yeah that's kind of diet so i would say for macros i consume somewhere between 50 and 75 grams of protein most days uh, up to 100 if I'm training really hard because mm -hmm. I find if I dip below, if I'm not training hard, maybe 50. Mm -hmm. And then um, essential fatty acids, I'm getting at least uh, 30, 30, 30 to 40 grams of essential fatty acids. And then the rest will be in uh, various forms of carbohydrates, which are usually sweet potatoes, uh, rice, you get some out of lentils. Uh, occasionally I'll have a bowl of oatmeal cause it's kind of traditional. Mm. I, I get a little, I get a little inflamed from it though, but I mm -hmm. like, I like the taste of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and of course sometimes we'll go out for breakfast and I'll have some toast or something. Like right. That. So, yeah. yeah. That's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. That you consume like quite little, quite little protein, but, uh, it seems that you're simply digesting it much better and you're absorbing more of it. 
Well, one of the things that I use is, you know, I developed a product with my business partner called Masszymes, which is a extremely potent enzymatic formulation. It's got 15 different enzymes in it and two enzyme enhancers. And um, there's five different types of proteases. So it's the most proteolytic enzymatic formulation there is available today. And that allows me to get so much more amino acids because your body really doesn't need protein. It only needs amino acids. So it's how well you convert that. So people were shocked when in my competitive days is after I had that big meltdown, I, I made a comeback after I built all these systems with probiotics and enzymes and mineral contents and these things. And I competed in 07. Um, I was about 10 pounds heavier. I had more muscle I was carrying on my body than I was before. And I was only eating uh, 100 grams of protein today, a day when my competitors were doing 250, 300 grams. <laughs> and I felt great. I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any aches. I didn't have any pain. So I knew that I had something. And that's when I really, I started lecturing in the public era, era right. because I, I knew we had figured something out. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, most bodybuilders or competitors, they actually do the opposite of they increase their protein like to exponential levels and they consume like quite a lot of it, uh, which is yeah, quite, quite funny that you're doing the exact opposite. Yeah, well, there's some adjustments. I mean, the benefits of it of, of a high protein diet is that it takes a lot of energy to break that down. So that tends to improve metabolism. Mm. and for a period of time so the, the body's cooking at a higher level to break that down which has two factors one protein is very has a high satiety it makes you feel full mm. and number two because it takes so much to convert it um your 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 basic metabolism is burning more fuel than it's consuming so it's easier to stay on a rigid diet on that and that's why it's so successful in bodybuilding communities and i had to adjust my calorie consumption uh once I started using enzymes uh, a, a lot, and I just don't need that much food to function. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's uh, again like it's not what you eat; it's what you end up absorbing. <laughs> what matters? Yeah. What kind of other uh, enzymes do you does, does your brand have? Um, but we have uh, also we have a a gluten enzyme. Uh, it's called Gluten Guardian, which is specifically designed to break down gluten. Gluten has a if you can imagine a baseball, it has like a cover. Like if you've seen in a baseball and you can tear that cover off, you'll see all the, the uh, threads inside the baseball. Well, the reality is, 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 is the gluten part is that coating of various proteins. It's not a carbohydrate, it's a protein. And your body can't break that down. That's what causes the inflammation for people. And so Gluten Guardian is, is an enzyme that goes in and breaks that down. Uh, DPP-4 is the actual enzyme. Mm. And dipeptidyl peptidase. And that is the only known substance that is consistently breaks down gluten. So we added that for people who are suffering from gluten. And then it had a side effect that we didn't imagine. And that is people who suffer from inflammation from A1 inflammatory proteins, which are found in cow's milk, uh, also found relief from the inflammatory conditions. So it seems to work with that uh, as well. We're going to ongoing and test that later on. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, so that's it. That, that, and we do have another secret enzyme product that will be coming out at the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference, uh, which will be in uh, April. So if you want to find out about it, I've been experimenting with lately. It's awesome. Come on, see us at the booth. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And uh, I've also signed up for your affiliate program. So if people, people want to check it out, then they, they can check out the show notes for the link. Uh, yes. But, yeah. Yeah, but uh, where can people learn more about uh, you and your work? 
Yeah, well, I think what they'll do is if they just click on the link here by optimizers.com slash empowerment, um, what'll happen is that'll take them to a website. You're going to get uh, a free course. I've got the 12 weeks to awesome health, double your energy. So basically, I've, t I've created 84 videos. They're like five to 15 minutes each, where I have extracted all the. You know, the person can just go through the course, or they can just select what they want, what type of water, what type of exercise, like these sort of things. Nice. And I give the research of where I've learned this because I didn't develop all this information. I compiled a lot of it and synthesized it into a simple program that people can kind of watch and select while they're waiting at the bank line or whatever they're you know traveling on the mm -hmm. bus or driving in their car. They can listen to this or watch this. Um, and it's just a service and of course they get discounts if they use that link uh, if they want to try one of our products we back everything up by a 365 day guarantee in other words if they try our product for some reason it doesn't work you got a whole year we'll return your money and also we have a fix your digestion guarantee and what that mm -hmm. is is somebody says hey I, I have this condition they buy a product it doesn't work for them they call our agents they tell us what they bought it for and they say well no you really needed this product we'll send that to them at no charge to uh, you know, because we really feel uh, responsible if someone tries our products. And that's why we've been in business for so long. I think we, we do good work and we like to help people fix their digestion. Mm, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's good. That's very good. And I also think that if, if people were, if people had like better digestion, then the world itself would be like a much better place to live as well. And we would have less stressed out people and less uh, angry people as well. <laughs> You got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wade, it's been great talking with you. And uh, my last question for you is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Oh, that's a great one. I would say meditate. Mm, yeah. And, and from that, I think a lot of people meditate because they, they think that it's going to improve them. Mm. Or we have this kind of, self-improvement kind of addiction in society that we are trying to be better or we're trying to be more or whatever meditation is the practice of, of, of consciously trying not to do anything yeah. and if you can actually get to that place you'll find that there will be improvements but you can't be looking for the improvements from the meditation and that's kind of the inverse end piece of the whole matter which will lead you to a life of self-discovery practice yeah it's, it's so true yeah that you you kind of become more aware about uh these uh, attachments or these different ideas that you may hold on to and you become like, okay, I'm going to let go of them and they, I'm not going to let them affect me. Yeah. And I think at the, in today's world, as it keeps going faster and more stimulation, I think it's the best way to kind of turn this, turn the searchlights from outwards back inwards. And from that, you'll cultivate uh, a lot more capacity and then you, you'll find out just how special you really are. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, Wade, thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, definitely looking forward to that secret product <laughs> that you're going to publish soon. You bet. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it and uh, I hope uh, your listeners enjoy it. Yeah, okay. Thanks. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.